A close reading of the Book of Mormon tells us that prophets that were preaching later in the Book of Mormon had received more light and knowledge than those preaching at the beginning of the Book of Mormon. In other words, you watch a, a pattern of growth over time uh, in the book. And so one of the dangers that we can find with, the, with uh, reading the Book of Mormon is that we are trapped, in a sense, by what they knew early on, and we're not giving them credit with the things that they learned later. Uh, this seems to be a pattern in the early church as well as now. So this is a good discussion as we talk about the growth of complexity and wrestling with uh, new knowledge and new ideas and their ability to change over a thousand years of Nephite history. Glad you're here. Uh, join us for today's class. And welcome to another Monday Morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, Opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within its pages. And now, on to the class. Well, good. Well, uh, Welcome to, welcome to class we get started. Um, this is kind of a part tour, part two-er, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I want to work off of, of what we talked about uh, uh, last week, and, and just, a, just a, a quick reminder, La last week we had gone through uh, the, the stages of, the developing stages of faith. Uh, and we talked about how it was like a tree that grows outward. You, you always build on the, the stage before. It isn't like you leave one and go to another. You build and you, you gain things around that. So we talked about moving from uh, simplicity. And we talked about then going into complexity, where in simplicity everything is black and white, all or nothing, dualistically. Complexity is where you start getting new information that changes what you learned in simplicity. And then you've got to accommodate it. You've got to figure out, what do I do with the new information? And how does that affect or grow or change what I learned inside my fortress uh, all along here? And it's really as we start engaging with other people, and it turns out people are different than we had led to, been led to believe when we were inside the fortress. And that can happen in missions. That can happen in marriages. Often that happens in college. Um, all that. So... In, uh, remember, in early complexity, we're just kind of defending what we learned in simplicity, and we will, and it's our job to convert and and, and uh, capture and bring them back. And then in late complexity, it's like, oh man, this is new information, and I like what I'm learning there. How do I? We use the example of trying to balance Genesis and, and evolution, or you know, if you're Baptist, you're trying to learn about. Mormons that are cultish and then you meet them and they're kind of nice and you got to decide 
it's not exactly what you thought. You know, what do I, what do, I do with this? Um, and then a lot of times you get enough complexity and now you just like, the walls fall. You know, and now you're going to get into doubt and loss and you're going to reject, really, you start, you start rototilling your garden. You know, the, and you're going to rototill the whole thing. Uh, and I'm going to doubt any authority source because I don't like what I heard. Uh, and, I, and I doubt myself. I don't trust myself because I thought I had a spiritual witness of this. And apparently I don't. And then you get angry and cynical. And some people stay in perplexity a long time. That's a bitter, angry place uh, to be. Or sometimes they, they go from perplexity and they go back up to complexity. And now they're going to attack the very thing that they learned in simplicity. So sometimes people that have left the church become the most ardent attackers of the church. And that there really is a complexity kind of place. And then we talked about ultimately we want to be able to get into harmony, which is how do you begin to seek relationships over dogma? The idea is, is relationships and that we can love people and care about them with different opinions which is, again, it's a good thing to be talking about before Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> We're going to get the extended family together and can we, you know, uh, we're going to have a difference of opinions on things. Um, now, so, so and then we, and we said ultimately you start looking at it and the whole plan of salvation actually follows these stages uh, that... The creation was in simplicity, all or nothings. Complexity is the fall. Now we're going to have to start doing things our way. How do we do it? That's not exactly how things worked in the garden. Now I've got to fight the weeds. Right? I didn't have to fight weeds. I've got to grow things in the ground instead of just plucking fruit at eye level. Um, and then the atonement, uh, the great reconciliation. Uh, we talked about last time that the word atonement didn't show up until the 14th century under William Tinsdale. did not exist. When you look in the Hebrew words, the Hebrew word that the King James Version is translated as Day of Atonement was actually the Day of Covering. Uh, Kippur is a covering. Okay? Um, and later than that, uh, when we talk about Paul, when he's talking about... Uh, by, through Christ, Romans 5, through whom we received our atonement. That's a King James translation. What that originally said was, through Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. We're being reconciled back to the Father. And it's not as much about paying for sins as much as it is being transformed into people that can live with Christ. Okay? Is that, is that in five minute thing? Okay, now. The Book of Mormon is really good on reconciliation. In fact, hold on to that one. That word specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because what we're going to find here is that, and and what what jumped out at me when I was actually looking at this um, was that the Book of Mormon follows these stages. The, their their growth in the Book of Mormon is why I wanted to take kind of a step back from kind of the chronological look at the Book of Mormon and say we need to look at the Book of Mormon in totality. Um, so President Nelson uh, talks about an ongoing restoration. Well, that really means that with new information things change. If you want to really kind of boil it 
down to that. Kevin, could you just go back? Because you added mortality, and I wanted to get all that. Could you just go back? Oh, yeah. Mortality is the struggle. Yeah. If you want to talk about what we do in, in our own uh, life, life and mortality, I think, is, is going between we're falling, we're trying to figure it out, sometimes we're in harmony, and then we new, get new information, then we struggle, both with other people and with ourselves. That's our, it's our internal battle, and I'm going to quote Paul in a minute, talking about life in perplexity, uh, mortality. So, all right. So, Christians who, who, who have doubts and ask questions will be given answers, line upon line. Um, their understanding and faith will be updated with additional light and knowledge. Sometimes in the church we've been a little fast to discourage doubts. Uh, especially when in what I call the obedience 80s. <laughs> as, I was, you know, as, as Cindy and I were getting married and starting to raise our kids in the obedience 80s was about don't question, don't doubt, just follow. Uh, and that, that ran headlong into the internet uh, where there was a lot of places to get answers. And uh, so the church had to evolve as well and the, and the brethren. Um, but when, whenever we have a question, the Lord always begins with where we are at our level of understanding and speaks in our language. So I want you to see this is how it looks in the Book of Mormon and, and, and see what you think. So... If you think about as the, as the Book of Mormon dawns and we have Nephi struggling to do everything that he's doing, uh, he starts off in, this is, a, this is a group of people that are very much in the first part of the Book of Mormon, uh, especially, especially as we take a look at uh, uh, from King Benjamin coming forward. Um, look at what happens these are law of Moses Old Testament people now in the Old Testament the Old Testament is built on black and white thinking isn't it how do you know who is good and who is bad who, who do you know how do you know who to kill and who to save it's the law of Moses so it's very clear right and what Paul kept running into, he'd go out there and, and, and the, the uh, Jews living in Ephesus or Corinth or something like that, and here comes Paul and their, their dividing line, how do you know who the good people are and who the bad people are? Jewish or not. Jewish or not. And how do you know who's Jewish? Circumcised. circumcised, absolutely, and the, and Paul even you those of the circumcision, that language is all through the the writings of Paul. Those of the circumcision versus those that are not of the circumcision. That's why there was always, without getting into too much details, there was always a pushback against the Sadducees, who were trying to somehow alter themselves. We don't know how they did it. But if you're, gonna, if you're a Sadducee and you want to hang out with the Romans in a gym where you don't wear clothes, one of these is not like the other. <laughs> and, there was some, and we know there was some effort to try and mask or something like that, so we look more Roman and less Jewish. But the, but the, but the, uh, 
Pharisees and everybody are going, no, it's of the circumcision or not. That's the first line. And then after that, do you eat with Romans? Do you eat with Gentiles or not? Do you keep Passover or not? And it was very clear, you're a good guy or a bad guy. Who did you eat with? Have you got a Gentiles in your house? Bad guy. If you're, if you're eating meat, like the, the problem in Corinth, the, the, the guys were going to the, uh, to the marketplace because they would, they would cook up food in the, in the temple of Zeus and the temple of uh, Caesar. It's re- really prominent in Corinth. It's when you walk in, it's like the most prominent thing sitting up there, right? And they would offer sacrifice to the gods, to Caesar, to Zeus. And then they'd get done, there'd be a lot of meat left. So then what they do is that they take the meat, they go back down into the market near the Bema, uh, and they would sell it. And sometimes Christians were like buying the meat because <laughs> it was the cheapest meat, and it was really good. It had been cooked, been barbecued, right? <laughs> yeah. so, they, so they would buy it, and they would buy the stuff, and then they would be serving it, and the Jews were going, wait, this is, this is the sacrifice meat. Yeah, but it was cheapest. It was like $1.99 a pound. I mean, we're... <laughs> Why wouldn't we do this? And, and it was a big. And the confusion is uh, when you're listening First Corinthians that you're buying meat from idols because that was a dividing light. You are or you aren't. You're good or you're not. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm just. My brain is seeing a pattern, and I don't want to take us off where you're going with it. But isn't it sometimes necessary for us? Adam and Eve is that. They needed that law to be obedient sure. before they could learn more. The early church, us, needed that simplicity. Needed simplicity. To keep us together. Mm-hmm. Then at this time, now Lehi's family broken away. They needed simplicity to help establish a strong unit of people that believed in God until they could move out and Father give them more information from like maybe Jacob and da 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 da. Is, is that not doesn't, it, doesn't that make sense? Yeah. But, and, and that's why, again, you have to see these stages as like the rings on a tree. Because yeah. you can't grow a tree and, and carve out the middle of it and wait for you, you have to build on those kind of things so that you're not, you're not saying simplicity is, is bad. You're just saying it, it's a stage and it has some upsides and some downsides to it. But I think simplicity is pretty critical. In, in the growth. It's where we learn a lot of things. Yeah. Well, I think we should also recognize that simplicity for a group of people does not exclude complexity and perplexity and harmony for an individual. I mean, Nephi wasn't prevented from receiving revelation yeah. because his whole group wasn't prepared to receive it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, uh, great point. So hang on to that. Because so, so early in the Book of Mormon, because I'll, I'll tell you what I, I in a minute, I, I'll tell you what I think the problem is sometimes with the Book of Mormon, because if the Book of Mormon, the first part of it is, tends towards simplicity, there is a snag here. And I think, I think it's a big one, and that's why I wanted to take the time to do this. Um, but but uh, so you're thinking, early in the Book of Mormon, then we're going to get the, you know, are they, th- these are the Jews, the chosen people, or the Gentiles, the bad people? Okay, and Nephi is going to write almost one-dimensional characters in trying to get his point across. Okay, Nephi's the good guy, Sam's the good guy. Who are the bad guys? 
Laman and Lemuel. Okay? Uh, Nephi's good, Lamanite's bad. You know, Joseph or Nephi in, in 2 Nephi 4 will talk about his psalm, right? And he talks about how his heart struggles with his enemies. I've been protected against my enemy. Who are his enemies? His brothers. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, and so it, and so what we and what we get in the first part of the Book of Mormon, and you're going to see it in the writings of King Benjamin and Alma, you're going to get a lot of dualistic thinking. It's all heaven or hell. It's all, you're, you're going to make it, you're going to be judged according to your works and you're going to heaven, or you're going to be judged according to your works and you're going to hell. And there's nothing, there's only two places. Choose one of those two. Okay? And so it's heavy, we're heavy in the Book of Mormon on this first part. Okay? And this is where we talk about this obedience that is then motivated by fear. And we're gonna. And one of the re, one of the things that can happen in simplicity is that simplicity sets up. Um, simplicity sets up some some rock hard obedience, but in order to have the obedience, then you have to be scared to death of the alternative. If I'm, you know, and it's happening on both sides of this war. If you're, if you're growing up in Gaza. Who are the good guys? Hamas. Hamas. And not just Hamas. Because I've seen the billboards in Bethlehem as well. Who are the good guys? The martyrs. The The martyrs. Those that would strap on a bomb and blow themselves up. And they will have have, uh, big billboards celebrating martyrs. And if you... Oh yeah, that's what I say. On on the road in, when you come through the check gate and you're going up to, to Bethlehem, uh, last time we were there, there, there was a big billboard there celebrating the martyrs. Okay? Now, if you are in uh, on the extreme side in Israel, especially if you were kind of more orthodox, and you're, who's the bad guys? Pa- pa- yes, yeah, the Palestinians and those who do martyr. Right? Okay? So you get, that's why I say, inside, it's all, and it's all motivated by fear. Anytime, guys, anytime we get caught up in black and white thinking, fear is the river that runs underneath that. I don't care what it is. Fear always drives black and white thinking. When you are depressed and you're the best person or the worst person, it's driven by fear. That fear that you're afraid you're going to be bad. So. Anyway, so... Uh, and I'll tell you what I think the struggle with, with having this in the, the Book of Mormon is here in a second. So I want to give you an example. He's, here, here's King Benjamin. Uh, and parts, King Benjamin's address is interesting. In some places, it's really kind of complexity. Take care of the poor. Be nice. You get those pieces. And then you get these threads of simplicity. When you sin, it will stand brightly, bright testimony against this people at the judgment day. Uh, every man according to his works, whether they be good or evil. Okay? See it? And if they're evil, you're consigned to an awful view of your own guilt and abomination. Oh, that would be awful. Uh, causing them to shrink from the presence of the Lord into a state of misery and endless torment. Whew. Wow. Uh, from whence their soul 
can no more return. Therefore they have drunk damnations to their souls. Yikes. And then, and then he adds this little piece. Therefore mercy could have no claim on them no more forever. Guys, that's pretty simplistic. That, that's, that's permanent. Okay? Now, we, uh, now we look at it kind of in our enlightened little selves in 2023. We might see a different view of this. Yeah? Just an observation. Of this, yeah, yeah. Of how you're teaching all this. I told Vicki some time ago, I said, when I go to church and hear different talks about how we should love each other, and but the one I love is that you're not a bad person, you're a good person doing bad things, right? I said, then I read the beginning of the Book of Mormon, it is very different. It's yes. all about. Like you said, the characters are good or bad, and are you going to be one of the good people or yes. one of the bad people? Right. What I'm really driving at is that when I bring this up, <laughs> yes, it tends to repel from yeah. it. You know, yes. Like, no, Brian, you're you're going astray. Right, right. It's the Book of Mormon. It says it right here in the Book of Mormon. What I'm saying is, you have a way of making it all acceptable. <laughs> is is that okay? <laughs> I think you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, is, yeah. Is you, you you're able to say it in a logical opinion. Well, and see, and, and see, I think this is the real struggle, and this is why I'm taking the time to do it because we love the Book of Mormon and we love the Scriptures, and we want to quote from the Book of Mormon to defend ourselves and what we believe. But I think if we can begin to see the first part of the Book of Mormon in context, we're not going to freak out nearly so much when we hear the black and white thing because we go, that is where they were at that moment. It's not where we are. Anybody who goes to the temple knows, is this true? That mercy has no claim on there forever? No, we go, yeah, but it's in the Book of Mormon, so either I have to throw out the... Simplicity says, i got to throw out the Book of Mormon because I struggle with this. What do I do with this thing? But if we can see this is where those people were, this is where they needed to kind of start, and then the complexity is going to come on top of that, I think both are true. Is that... Is that it's on the other hand. Yeah. What is God being about this? What is what? What is God? I mean... If God is the same today and forever, yeah. Then, then what side of all of these words is he on? Ah, he is the same today, yesterday, and forever, yeah. right? But our understanding of him is not the same today and forever. <laughs> because as we get, because in complexity, when we start learning new information, we go, well, maybe God didn't exact, that's not, in fact, God's going to change this. Hold on. We're going to get further light knowledge that will update this. Okay? Hold on. That's what complexity is going to be. Yeah. So, our children are black and white. Yes, they are. How do you get them to transition to this? Which children are we talking about? When they're five or when they're 25? Because <laughs> at five, yes. you know, at five they're going to say you're going to be baptized and you're going to go into the water and you're going to come out clean. Yes. Okay? 
That's fine if we understand that in simplicity when we're five. Now, if we still believe that we go into the water dirty and we come out clean and we're 25, then we haven't updated our knowledge base to say what does the cleansing in, in a baptismal process? The Holy Ghost does. It's by, it's by fire. Okay? By, in baptism, we, we obey... And the cleansing comes from the Holy Ghost, and that can come a year later, five years later, ten years later. And but Elder, Elder Grimstrom talked about that. In yeah, he did. So, so we we do. We start in simplicity, but sometimes we don't necessarily update it. So hold hold, hold on to this, okay? So anyway, mercy has no claim on them, no more forever. Their torment is a lake of fire and brimstone whose flames are unquenchable and the smoke offendeth forever and ever. Now again, if you're taking the Book of Mormon word for word without looking at the context and where these people are, that ought to scare the crud out of you. And it does. And that's why we have a lot of people that struggle with perfectionistic kind of things because they're reading the Book of Mormon. And in fact, they're going to read the first part of the Book of Mormon more than they're going to read the last part of the Book of Mormon because they never make it through Second Nephi. <laughs> so they read it over and over and over and over and go, I'm toast, man. I can never be enough. I can never in this church do enough. I will always be going to hell. Or I won't know until the last moment that judgment and I'm waiting for the gavel to fall and that's the moment when I find out in the last final judgment whether I made the grade or not. And we live in fear. That's why I think we have to look at it. So, all right, um, all right. So, so hold on to this. How are we doing so far? Yeah. You mind going back to that? Maybe I'm the only one who knows this. You are, but that's okay. <laughs> it said mercy could have claim on them no more forever. Yeah. Well, yes. And there's nothing in there about repentance or about any of that. Well, I know. So, um, They've dry, therefore, mercy could have no claim. In other words, there is a point at which mercy can't get you anymore. That is possible if, if they are so evil. <laughs> okay. I know. I know. Hold, hold, on, hold on to this. Because God, God Himself will change this, and it's coming. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. So now let's talk about complexity, because now complexity is the natural growth as people mature over time. They ask questions, they get answers, and sometimes those answers, those revelations, are an update on what we thought we knew before. Okay. So. The children of Lehi grow in complexity uh, over time, and you'll start seeing it. That you see them start step and struggling with all or nothing. And so there's a number of places you start to see it. First of all, Nephites are good, Lamanites are bad. What happens when you have? Can you have bad Nephites? <laughs> well, you can. Wait a minute, Nephites are good. They're the chosen one. No, you have bad Nephites. King Noah. You can have any, we have gatekeepers like Captain Moroni. Captain Moroni, what happens with Captain Moroni if you, if you're in a time of war and you have dissenters? 
They die. They die. Yeah, and, we str- and I, I struggle with that a little bit. Was there another way? Maybe there wasn't another way, but I think it's something we just go for all... Uh, Captain Moroni was amazing, but here, this is one of those times when he w- you know, he's going to bring down the hammer. Okay? Um, Laban? Doing the killing that he did, and God told him it was more important that they get the scriptures. I know, I know. Yeah, and and you can say, well, if God tells me to kill somebody, I guess I should. You know know what? In modern sensibility, we're like, I get it, but that that shouldn't sit very well. No, it doesn't. (laughs) You know, and and if. I know, and if we're trying to round up everybody and we're trying to say, we need you to fight for our country, no, we don't want to fight for our country, then we'll kill you. Well, that kind of shouldn't sit with us very well either. And we, again, we don't know the whole circumstance. But that's called complexity. <laughs> we start asking questions, and the scriptures beg us to ask questions and be uncomfortable with certain things, especially if we listen to our heart and go, God said... The, the Israelites should get the land of Canaan. Kill them all. Men, women, children, animals. Kill them all. And that there ought to be something inside of you that goes... I don't know. If that's literal, I'm going to have a hard time. If that's symbolic, that helps. Yeah. So, isn't it possible? No. No. <laughs> based on our understanding, our individual understanding of like... God that sometimes maybe we um, misinterpret things and that it's always bad to kill people <laughs> and that maybe there were other ways and that just because it's you know um, someone who does good things most of the time doesn't mean they do good things occasionally they the if, I'm in, if I'm in simplicity and I'm a recently returned missionary mm-hmm. and I go to BYU and I see you across the campus and I go I have prayed about it and God has told me that I'm supposed to marry you. (laughs) I have received a revelation that you're supposed to marry me and you're going, well, you know what? I haven't got the same revelation. (laughs) Yeah, but it's a revelation. God told me that you were mine from the pre-existence and and if you haven't figured it out yet, then you need to repent. You know, you need to spend more time praying. (laughs) it wouldn't it be funny if that ever happened? Yeah, I know. And and it well, it happened. It happened to Cindy. But you guys sat on the dog. Was it the roommate or you that, that where you sat on the dawn of the oh, creation and saw the worlds come into? That was that was me. I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> it got a revelation that you guys had sat. You know, like yeah. we're just standing on the edge. We're kicking our. Our feet, like right. sitting on the, uh, uh, okay. Somebody. Somebody else got that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yes. I think really good people can have those moments. And I think that's, <laughs> okay. Now, but, but what you start getting as we roll through Alma, Mosiah and Alma, we start getting people that are stepping out in complexity, and they're going to start making some different choices. Alan? I just wanted to. You, you didn't have that revelation, did you? No, not oh, yet. Oh, good. I'm just checking. Not, <laughs> not yet. We're getting married, brother. No, I, I wanted to make a comment about uh, this situation. I think that one of the things that happens is, is that um, 
you know, I was taught my whole life that growing up in the church, right, that yeah, that there's kind of like uh, two uh, vias for communicating information. Yeah. If you're a if you're a prophet and you're at you know general conference, then you're speaking in your capacity as a prophet. And then if you're you know if you're a prophet and you're doing something you, else, I don't know what the context is. Then that might not necessarily be like the official thing. Um, I think that that's an extremely dangerous can be. path to walk mm-hmm. down. And I, I I I would say I probably largely agreed with that for most of my life until I kind of like realized, no, hey, wait a second. There are you know, there are times, TV, right? And they the other the other thing is is that. Um, the documentation aspect of a thing, right, of, of an idea, gives it credibility, yeah. right? It naturally lends itself to credibility. If you have a, you know, it's one thing to like sit around and chit chat all day and talk and say things, but when something goes into a document or a book or a, it oh, makes it into I know. A, a, I know. You know, a, you know, a conference or something, at that point, at that point, that information is is lended more credibility than it should otherwise have. Or right, know, and it's not it's not really a thing where things are valued evaluated based on their merits. Rather, they're evaluated based on the medium through which. It's and, and they've written. And sometimes, guys, that's that's my that's exactly my point, because in some cases, what we're getting, especially early in the Book of Mormon, and even sometimes early in the Doctrine and Covenants, is that. Uh, these were prophets that got inspiration and guidance and said it and it got written down and sometimes carved into scripture. And we're having to say, we still then have the ability to listen with our heart and go, I don't think that the Israelites marched into Canaan and killed every man, woman, and child. Or, I, it's one of the reasons why in the church, by the way, one of the volumes that the church used to publish that it no longer publishes is the Journal of Discourses. Journal of Discourses, you, you were somebody, if, and I had them, you know, the Journal of Discourses. This is what Brigham Young said in 1854, and this is what Wilford Woodruff said in 1890, you know, and there, there it was. Well, there were two problems with that, incidentally. One was that Brigham Young would get up and speak for two or three hours. They would just roll. There wasn't a clock, and there wasn't TV, and they just roll. And they, a lot of it was just their own opinion on stuff. And then the other one, most of the time, uh, like, like we have just in the last few years, finally were able to read the shorthand, the shorthand information that was taken at the very moment when Brigham Young said, blacks are not going to get the priesthood. It's March of 1852 in the courthouse in Fillmore. We haven't had the actual talk until... Um, uh, Paul Reeves was able to get that translated, but, but we had to find somebody that could read the old shorthand, and now we have it. Now we know the moment when it happened, and we know what he said. Okay, well, for a long time we just guessed. So no, I think I think you're right. Sometimes sometimes we have been we're seeing stuff in simplicity said or talked about and everything, and we've automatically assumed that that was going to be true. Yeah. So, Alma at one point is talking to his sons and he says, here we go, and I give this as my opinion. Yep, and yes. I think, I think frequently that happens 
without the caveat. I give this as my opinion. Perfect. I, I have heard there there was a conference where Brigham Young came in in the morning and told everybody what they were going to do about Johnson's army. Yep, we have that. Then he came back in the afternoon and he said, Brothers and sisters, you heard Brigham Young's opinion in the morning, and now the Lord's word on it is this. Yes. Totally different. It's, it's exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. And if you read that speech, I've read that speech. And it was when, just right after he found out Johnson's army was coming. And it's fiery, man. It's going to be a war, and we're going to get them, and never again. And, and it is, whew, if you're just going to say Brigham Young said this, wow, it's a, it's a getter. And then in the afternoon, I think he'd had some lunch. <laughs> then he goes, maybe we'll move to Provo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll find another way to do this. Um, but but watch watch this happens in the Book of Mormon. Um, you're going to get people like uh, the the sons of, of Mosiah going. Well, maybe they maybe maybe those others aren't as othering as we thought. <laughs> maybe there's some something good with these. And then we're going to get Alma and Coriant. So let me give you a couple of examples. Um, and, and maybe the best way for me to describe it, you got to think Joseph Smith, who grew up very much in simplicity, <clears throat> just the, the Protestantism he, he grew up with was going to be in simplicity. He spent his entire life in complexity, at times harmony, but everything he always learned was always being upended. Every time he'd ask a question, the Lord would reveal more. The restoration was unfolding. That meant I got to bag what I thought earlier and, and now accommodate new information that's different. And then I'm going to have to do it again, and then I'm going to have to do it again, constantly. And I'll, I'll show you some good examples. Because um, Joseph Smith is the best way to watch a prophet go through complexity. Uh, Joseph Smith is... is in uh, 1832, John Johnson Farm, they're, they're up there, and he's been reading the scriptures. And he and Sidney, and Sidney was a pretty fiery simplicity guy. Um, and then he goes, well, you know what? From sundry revelations have been received, and I'll, I'll give you one of them, it was apparent that many important points touching the salvation of man had been taken out of the Bible. Oh, if simplicity, if simplicity was, if simplicity was what they called sola scriptura. What's sola scriptura? Anybody know? It's what? Only scripture. Only scripture. Where, where do Protestant churches say they get their authority? The Bible. The Bible. Sola scriptura. It come, you cannot change a word in the Bible because then you've lost the authority. Sola scriptura. Joseph grew up with Sola Scriptura. That's, that's how the you don't change the Bible. Then he goes, wow, it, things were taken out of the Bible or lost before it was compiled. He just upended the whole Christian dialogue since the Reformation. Catholics don't necessarily believe in Sola Scriptura. Popes can add to stuff. But the Protestant Reformation under Luther and Calvin was, it's the Bible. We don't have a Pope. We have the Bible. It's the Word. It's God's Word. Don't change the Word. The whole thing collapses if you change the Word. And Joseph goes, I think some stuff was left out. 
<laughs> oh, wow. Including, it appeared self-evident from what truths were left that if God rewarded everyone according to the deeds done in the body, the term heaven is intended for the saints. It's got to be more kingdoms than one. There's got to be more than just heaven or hell. Wow. Then he goes, hmm. Accordingly, while translating St. John's Gospel, myself and Elder Rigdon saw the following vision. And here comes section 76. Suddenly he's out of simplicity as far as the Bible goes and goes, it's not sola scriptura. There was a lot left out. Imagine this was difficult for Emma because she was raised mm -hmm. even more religiously. Than yeah. And she knew the Bible far better than he did. Sure. So this must have been particularly shocker. Difficult. Yeah. Uh, and and again, this was bad. This was enough. And I, I've mentioned this before that when when the word when they actually copy down the vision, remember uh, that uh, they will then write it down carefully to try and make sure they got it and then they start sending it off when missionaries start getting a hold of this thing they want to teach it in England a few years later uh, and and they will get thrown out of Preston England for, for teaching the vision because it, it shatters the all or nothing thing and it messes with Sola Scriptura okay so he goes, well, that's different. Now there's three instead of just one or two, and three of them are good. <laughs> wow. And there's really no hell except for, like, sons of perdition. Well, that's a major step forward. Now I've got to accommodate new information. I believe that if Joseph had stood and preached a sermon on April 6, 1830, about heaven, I think he would have preached heaven and hell. That's what he knew. It's just two years later, now he's got more information. Okay, but even that is about to get updated. That, that's not even... He gets more information. I love this. Uh, so here's, here's another one. DNC 19. In the summer of 1829... Th this one puzzles me a little bit. i, I got to admit. The, the Lord's timing on this is really interesting. Summer of 1829, what's happening with Joseph? Yeah, he just finished up. He's got the Book of Mormon ready to go. And the next step is we've got to get it published. He goes to Grandin twice. Uh, and Grandin says, nobody will buy it, but I will publish it if you will pay the whole 5000 up front. Wow. Nobody ever asked for the whole thing up front. Only one guy in that area that could possibly come up with the five grand to publish the book to get started. And that was Martin, Martin Harris. And Martin Harris is waffling because his wife is freaking out. <laughs> and the only way he can make the... And, I, and when I've taken people to the Martin Harris farm and we're looking at the piece of property and it just sits there, it's a gorgeous piece of property that he had to lease out, separate it out from Lucy. So he's going to sell this part, take it on loan to some people, so that he can get the $5,000 to give to Grandin so he'll start the book process. But Martin's waffling, as Martin often did. He's waffling. And so what we get in order to get him to stop waffling is DNC 19. Now, 
DNC 19, if you just look at the bottom of it, the bottom of it says, pay the printer. As you promised to do, pay the printer. Cool. But the first part of DNC 19, the Lord throws in this bombshell. And it's a bombshell on, on the way that we look at the first part of the Book of Mormon. Here, and the bombshell, you know, right? For surely every man must repent or suffer, for I, I God, am endless. Yes. It's eternal. Heaven or hell. Then he goes, Well, I revoke not the judgments which I shall pass, but woe shall go forth, weeping and wailing, gnashing of teeth. Yeah, that's rough. Then he goes, Nevertheless, and, and this parsing is fascinating to me. It wasn't ever written there wouldn't be an end to the torment. But it was written endless torment. You know, well, that sounds like endless torment. It sounds like torment that never ends. That mercy will never have a claim. I know I said endless, but I didn't really mean endless. <laughs> I meant it, and then he reframes it, right? Beautifully. He goes, I know it's written eternal damnation, and I know you think it's eternal damnation, and I know the Nephites believed that it was eternal damnation. But, that it might uh, express uh, other, than other scriptures that it might work on the hearts of men altogether for my name's glory. You know what? I didn't include the next part. Then he says, endless is my name. The next step is, endless is my name, and eternal is my name. So really when I say endless torment, I don't mean it forever. What I'm saying when I say endless torment, what I mean is God's, God's punishment. Oh! Really meaning that endless doesn't mean forever. Endless just means God's torment, or God's punishment, or God's... Now, I have no earthly idea why the Lord chose this moment to say to Martin Harris, right in the middle of whether we should pay the publisher or not, to drop this little bombshell in the summer of 1829. I have no earthly idea. Because the other question that this raises, guys, this is the question it raises. He said, and he's telling you, I allowed, I didn't change, I could have told King Mosiah, I could have told Nephi, I could have told Alma, I could have told uh, Mosiah that endless doesn't mean f forever, but I didn't. I sort of needed that, I needed it to work on the hearts of the children of men. I needed them to kind of stay in simplicity because maybe that was the only way that was going to work. I, that's the only way I can frame it. But the Lord is saying, I deliberately did not give them this. And I'm, and I'm giving it to you now. And by the way, it went right by Joseph. Jo Joseph didn't completely get this. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, Martin's in a different position than most people because he has seen the plates mm -hmm. presented by the power of God, displayed by an angel, and he's been told that he needs to testify and witness of it or he'll be yeah. It's a different position. <laughs> it, it, it is. But the, but the funny thing is, he's choosing this moment. This, this is a landmark. This is landmark, guys. 
This is a this is a major this is this is a major reframing of what we think the first part of the Book of Mormon is saying. Endless doesn't mean forever. Endless just means me. <laughs> I'm endless. That's my name. This is God's punishment, God's reward. Endless doesn't mean forever. Well, an awful lot of the people in the Book of Mormon, a lot of the Protestant Reformation, Calvin, all of those guys certainly believed endless means what? Endless. Endless means forever. And he's going, no, endless just means endless ends. <laughs> endless is my name. Oh, and he's doing it to Martin Harris and why this moment, I don't know. Anyway, I just think this is... All right. Um, let's see. What oh, oh. So, so, so let me give you one more update. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I assume what you're saying is it, God is saying I did this to work on, on the hearts of men. Why wouldn't he do that to Martin Harris? Why wouldn't he keep the simplistic view? You know what? Pressure on him. To, to fund the Book of Mormon, it's almost saying, "Hey, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Uh, it's really not as bad as you think." You know what? I like that. I like that. It would make some sense that that maybe this is also something that Martin is struggling with, and so the idea that endless doesn't mean forever. Uh, that is, and it's almost like a little caveat, isn't it? I'm going to give you an additional thing in in return because I know you're about to make a huge sacrifice. By the way, did he lose the land? Yeah, lost the land. Yeah. Yeah. What if I'm making an eternal wrong decision or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Okay, so here's one more. I'm gonna. Uh, so here, here's Joseph's uh, growth period. And it's this one. I, I love this one. So, January of, January of 1836. Okay. When was, when was the uh, Kirtland Temple dedicated? March. March of 1836. Okay. January of 1836. They're, they're up in, uh, in the top of the Kirtland Temple all the way to the back. You walk all the way to the back. Joseph's office was right at the back of the the uh, temple there and they're having nightly meetings he's trying to get everybody ready for this dedication to Kirtland Temple and so the school of the prophets has moved up there um, and there is a really sweet spirit when you when you get up there uh, if you go to the uh, Kirtland Temple by the way go with a smaller group because a smaller group can get up to that top third story all the way to the back if you have a big group it's too too big and they're afraid of the weight up there but um Vision the celestial kingdom. So, so in there, and he's in the middle of one of these things, and he goes, he, the vision opens up to him. He goes, I saw Father Adam and Abraham and my father and my mother. By the way, where's his father at this moment? Wow. Sitting next to him. <laughs> you know, he's in there, most likely. And my mother and my brother Alvin that has long since slept. Huh. And marveled. I wonder, what? What? Alvin, really? I've been worried forever, right? That I marveled how he had obtained an inheritance in the celestial kingdom, seeing that he had departed this life before the Lord had set his hand to gather Israel the second time and had not been baptized for the remission of sins. If you're just following 
the revelation that he got four years earlier, 1832, the vision, where would Alvin go? Uh, terrestrial. terrestrial kingdom. Blinded by the philosophies of men. But really, the ability to baptize, Alvin dies before that baptism is actually available. But in his mind, he's like, I'm going to marvel because Alvin, according to section 76, should be in the terrestrial kingdom. And now he's about to get... Alvin's there, and he hadn't been baptized. What's he doing in the celestial kingdom? Now, this is... Notice the year, 1836. What's going to happen? What keys are going to be restored three months later? Elijah. Elijah. Okay. Now, even with this knowledge, and even with Elijah... When will he announce baptisms for the dead? Not till they're in the moon. Four years later, 1840. I mean, there is a progression here, right? It's not heaven and hell. Oh, there's three degrees of glory. Oh, wait a minute. There's a way for Alvin to get to the celestial kingdom. Wow, wonder how that works. <laughs> And then I get these keys from Elijah. What do we do with these keys? It's sealing on earth. And, you know, and then he's going to go through the Liberty Jail. and all, So he gets delayed. We'll give him credit for that. But it's going to be four years later before he goes, he, he puts it all together. Wait a minute, Elijah, the keys, uh, and baptism for the... And it's at that moment when they announce baptism for the dead, right after he comes out of the grove and they start doing baptisms, his father turns to him and says, get Alvin baptized. Now is the, they, they, it's like you put all these things have been sitting there and he's got to compile them in complexity. Wow, it works. Yes, we can, we can do it. Now I know how Alvin gets into the celestial kingdom. He gets baptized. And we have the ability to do it. And I had the power four years ago. I love it that God lets us catch up with him. Yeah. The pattern is he meets us where we are. And yes. how wonderful it is that he goes... Deborah, you just learned so much slower than yeah. I like. But I love it that he meets me where I am. And then add something to it to the extent that we're ready. And then he adds something else as we're ready for that. And then we, we move along. Okay? Yeah. What amazes me is how ready the people were. Oh. That they literally, upon hearing that, they literally run. Went gonzoed. Yeah. <laughs> they really did. Over the souls of their departed. Yeah. Women being baptized. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, the, the description of the time is long lines going off right there at the bottom of Parley Street. Long lines going out into the, into the Mississippi with people then baptizing everybody, and they're just kind of going crazy. No recorder. And no recorder, yeah, yeah. So he goes, well, they weren't baptized. Then he goes, the voice of the Lord came to me and says, all who have died without a knowledge of this gospel would have and would have received it had they been permitted to tarry shall be heirs to the celestial kingdom. Now, watch, the, here comes the additional change. Also, all who die henceforth without a knowledge who would have received it shall be heirs to the kingdom. For I, the Lord, will judge all men according to their works. Right? Book of Mormon. I'm going to judge according to their works. Then what does he do? According to their desires. Oh! There's the next step forward. 
It's, that's, that's what restoration is. It's restoring additional light to what we already had. And sometimes then that changes because we thought this was endless. Well, it was endless, but that was his name. <laughs> and then we're going to add to that, according to the desires of their heart, oh, that changes the game altogether. And that's far different from what you hear in the first part of the Book of Mormon. But that's what they knew. That's what they operated by. <laughs> Okay, uh, and with and with that, heavenly angels have just. <laughs> All right. Well, the timing was suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so let me give you one example in in the the Book of Mormon. We're still working through complexity here. This is Ammon. This is seventy seven B C. After they've after they finished. Their, their mission. You remember, my brethren, when we said to our brethren in the land of Zarahemla, we ought to go up to the land of Nephi and preach to our brethren, the Lamanites, and they laughed at us. Remember that one? Yeah, we remember that one. Oh, wow. Okay. They said, do you suppose, idiots, that you can bring the Lamanites the knowledge of the truth? You're going to die. <laughs> do you suppose that you can convince the Lamanites of the incorrectness of their, their traditions? As stiff-necked as they are, they won't listen. We know it. They're the others. They're the bad guys. Whose days have been spent the grossest iniquity, whose ways have been the way of the transgressor from the beginning. These are the bad guys. Now, my brethren, you remember that this was their language. And moreover, they did say, let's take it one step farther. Let's wipe them out. <laughs> Let us take arms against them that we destroy them and their iniquity out of the land lest they overrun us and destroy us. Today, yes, it is. I know. I know. And that's why Israel's having to be really careful about saying we're trying to destroy Hamas, but we're not trying to destroy the people. But that's going to be, unfortunately, that's going to be seen as the same thing. But anyway, so here, here's some people that are stepping out and say we're going to see them as other than others. And we're not going to believe all of this. We think God has a path. We don't have to kill them, and we think they can be changed. So we're going to work with them. Did it work? Yeah, it worked. Well, even if we don't think they can change, we think we need to try. We need to try, absolutely. Yeah, so we're we're going to try. Okay. Now, do they go through a period of perplexity in the Book of Mormon? Yeah, the walls fall. We get Nephi collapse. And I'm putting some approximate dates on this. Uh, I'm a little fuzzy on the years because it's a little hard to put the whole group of people. Some people were there, some people weren't. But approximately, this is when you start seeing the drop into perplexity. We get these internal assassinations. They start killing off chief judges. Uh, Societal is collapsing. Uh, So now, who who do you trust? Because the people that they had been killing, if they descended, then they're going to they're going to form themselves into Gadiant robbers, and now it's going to be secret combinations. So they're there, so you don't know whether to trust somebody or not. It really starts to descend into perplexity, and so now we're going to reject all the teachings of King Benjamin and King Mosiah's laws. 
in favor. We don't want democracy anymore. We want, if you can't trust anybody, then, then in the absence of trust, what do you go with? Mm-hmm. Tribal power. Who's the strongest? I don't know who to trust, but I can trust your arm. I can trust you're stronger. I can trust that you have more power, that we have more swords. You revert to being driven by fear if you don't know who to trust. Yeah, yeah. And the only way to be safe, if you're, if you're in, if you are, if you go off to prison, how do you stay safe in prison? Got to join a gang. I can't trust them; they're the others. So I'm going to trust our people. So we have, we have matching tats, you know, and we we're, we're going to war. We devolve into warring tribes. Uh, a, a prison is probably a really good example of perplexity at the, at this stage. Okay. Insomuch there began to be great inequality in the land. The church was broken up. Insomuch that in the 30th year, the church was broken up in all the land. Save, it was among who? The Lamanites. Yeah, see, these anti-Nephi-Lehi's who didn't, who weren't caught up in the fear aspect, they were caught up in the love aspect, they stayed all the way through, even, even in the midst of perplexity. And it came to pass that the judges had many friends and kindreds and all the lawyers and high priests had gathered themselves together and unite with the kindreds of those judges who were tried according to the law. See, in times of chaos, it is about power. I think the Lamanites spoken of in this time period were not the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. They had become Nephites. And where was the anti-Nephi-Lehi's? They split. They went to the north. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Nephi and Lehi had... had these are the Samuel the Lamanite, Lamanite groups. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, thank you. You're right. Therefore, they did combine against the people of the Lord uh, and enter into a covenant to destroy them. Isn't that interesting? In times of power, they're going to go after the believers. And to deliver those who were guilty of murder from the grasp of justice, which was about to be, ad- to be administered according to the law. Why would they go after... The, the people of the covenant and the church. They always do. Yeah, why? Well, devil's running one team and, the, and so he's going to go after Christ. Yeah, why? What, what would be the justification? Fear, maybe. Yeah, fear. These guys are telling us that we're wrong. Mm-hmm. We're being judged again, you know, so we're well, going to kill these guys. If, if you are a power abuser and you've got some people who are the in-group with you abusing a whole lot of people who are the general population, yeah. you don't want there to be an alternative power group. Because you're gonna, it's a threat. It's yeah, a threat. you're afraid of them. Yep, uh, that, that's it. And they did set it, and they did set at defiance the law, the rights of the country, and they did covenant one with another to destroy the governor. So we just get this, now everything is just kind of falling apart. Um, and, and, we could, and, and we're going to kind of roll into that kind of between now and the rest of the semester. We're going to talk about this period of time leading up to uh, the coming of the Savior. Uh, but, but harmony, it, again, we go back to the plan of salvation. What is Harmony. It's the atonement, right? It's the coming of the Savior. And what, what does he do? When, when Jesus comes, 
At this point, he creates a Zion society. There are no more ites. Means that the, the differences disappear. There are no more others. And the ch- children of, Re- of Lehi end up being reconciled one to another and to, the, and to God for 200 years. That's what the Savior does. He reconciles hearts. And that's, that's what we're after. Uh, and a lot of times this may come, this harmony comes, kind of builds on all of these, even the questions of perplexity. And I think we get to harmony. And like I was saying, like I was saying last time, I think in my own, in my own kind of journey, I've kind of walked through uh, most of this, but I find myself going from harmony and I find myself back at simplicity. And because the more that you understand harmony, the more you start taking a look at it. Is that loving or not? <laughs> Is that kind or not? <laughs> you know, it's kind of a softer simplicity, I guess. But I, it's, a, it's a question I have to ask. Is the spirit there or not? Even when I'm reading the scriptures, yeah. I think sometimes when I've done it, simplicity gets confused with security. And because mm. yesterday we had a... Uh, mm-hmm. You know how things are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the teacher who got up and asked, how many of you are uncomfortable about what has happened to the wars? Those of you who don't know, plane has cursed 39th. Because we combined two wars, right. And so, and the, the others have joined with the others, yes. <laughs> so it's first, basically first and part of third, and, part of, and some of, anyway. Yeah. And the teacher was from third, former third. Oh, of course. And it's I one of the others that are doing that. How yeah. many people raised their hand when he asked how many of you are uncomfortable with these changes? Mm-hmm. I was surprised. And some of the responses, they can't sit where they used to sit. <laughs> um, and I'm not making fun. I mean, you know, they don't know people. It doesn't seem the same. And, this, and they were being honest, which is okay. Which is okay. <laughs> but I was surprised by it. I was surprised by it. things like that. Uh, but d- it does. So I think sometimes we need to realize that simplicity is not always going to guarantee security. <laughs> d- you know, it, that was one of, one of my first questions. When, when, when Cindy and I attended the ward for the first time, we couldn't get into the Richardson State Conference. So I said, let's go look at what this new combined ward looked like. And my first question was, at the very back row, on the end, is where the Bartons in the third ward always sat. That was their... <laughs> yes! <sighs> in, the, in the Plano First Ward, it was the senior sisters <laughs> that always sat there. And so my question as we walked in is, who got the back row in the corner? <laughs> And I wa- and, the, and the senior sisters did, and the Bartons were sitting next to them. And I sat next to Brother Barton. And I said, "How did that happen?" And he goes, "Yeah, I gave it to him." <laughs> I mean, did they have to buy it from you or something? You deeded your part that you've lived there for thirty years, and you've always had that spot. And, and they appeared to be getting along well in harmony when I noticed. Uh, <laughs> I, was still, I was still surprised at how many people were. Yeah, still, still struggling with that kind of stuff. Uh, all right. All right, I'm trying to decide if I want to... Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I will. Um, 
let, let me say, I, I just want you to kind of feel the, the spirit of this. Hopefully, hopefully th 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 this will work. Uh, this is, um, anyway, I'll just, let's see if this works. Oh, it's going to. Oh, you're not seeing it. Oh, how do we do that? Why would that? Why wouldn't? Why wouldn't that share it? Yeah. Oh, yes, that'll work, wouldn't it? If I got out of there and then I went. Thinks that to have a question. All right. So hold on. If I go, yeah, I need to get out. Okay, hold on. You're right. That'd work. If I do, if I get out of this, I'm going to save that. Okay. Oh, yeah, that works. Then if we go here. And then if I go and I go How to know when you're not ten years old anymore. I have a question. It, <laughs> here's a sense of harmony. What I think it might feel like. like a church culture one thinks that to have a question is to put everything at risk uh, we tend to think too often I think a testimony is a package deal to raise a question in one area is to throw into question uh, everything in the other I think maybe useful disregard to think of the, the compass the kind of instrument that we use to draw circles that one can have an absolutely fixed point whereas the other arm swings free I used to think that questions are bad. I've learned as I've grown closer to my Savior that questions are welcome. And the more we dive deeper into some of the questions we have, we gain a stronger testimony of the gospel. The Apostle Hughie Brown and the great novelist Dostoevsky both talked about doubt as being a kind of apprenticeship on the way to faith. That's how I think of doubt. That's how I've experienced doubt. I have been having a lot of questions for quite a few years and I've been dealing with that by sort of doing research online, reading books, but never really telling Aubrey what I was going through. When I experienced some sort of like shattering of my current understanding and didn't know what to do, that I would define this as a faith crisis and I would feel really bad about it. <laughs> I remember the exact words he said, I don't know if I have a testimony. And yeah, it was like the world stopped for a minute and it can be really scary. It can feel terrible. It, it almost always feels terrible, actually. I couldn't imagine our life without the church and that was my biggest fear and that's what we wrestled with. I feel like I know what it is to have lost one's bearings, to have lost one's mornings, to no longer be able to say, I know. But there's always something after it. 
comfort and ease and certainty were what we were looking for and we thought yeah. that we would find as people of real faith, but at the end of the day, it was discomfort and a real wrestle, like you said, that we think actually are the entire point. It's like the wrestle with the questions leads to true faith and the wrestle with people, like in community, leads to true belonging. We see in all these different kinds of experiences how the point is not getting fixed or not getting fixed. The point is to live in accordance with our divine nature and our capability and our kinship with each other. When B.H. Roberts invokes the phrase disciples of the second sort, I think he's making a couple of important points. One is that he's, he's recognizing the fact that hasn't really been emphasized in the church until the ministry of President Nelson, and that is that we have to think of restoration as a process. I think when I grew up in the church, when, whenever people talked about the restoration, it was always in the past tense. The restoration is a project that, that God is still working at in the world. President Nelson said that you know, Jesus Christ will yet reveal some of his mightiest works in the days to come. So that's incredibly helpful when you're growing as a religious movement to have this kind of built-in institutional flexibility and responsiveness. I think we've come to actually believe in what we say we believe. If we believe in a God who is still living, still breathing, still speaking to us, and if we believe that we are part of this process, for me, that's it's a lot more exciting, it's exhilarating, it's, it, it's liberating. The church, in a very real sense, acquires the, the, the texture, the shape, and the nature of those individual entities that make it up. This idea of the body of Christ, it's a really comforting metaphor because it tells me I don't have to do everything, I don't have to be everything, I don't have to know everything. I'm part of creating this church that I want to belong to and I'm part of the restoration. I'm here with all of my wounds and all of my fears and and all of my sensitivities and that's part of this church and they need me here. It is so incredibly valuable to have a group of people who are faithful to each other, who have covenanted to see each other as brothers and sisters. I think that's what Faith Matters is, is really trying to do on all those different levels, is recognize everyone has different gifts. That's both institutionally and culturally and individually, and embracing the truth and beauty yeah. and goodness from all of those. What does God want you to do to bring your gifts, your talents, the things that make you you, to change the world, to make it a better place? You know, what if faith didn't look like a list of correct beliefs? That's how I had defined faith forever. An expression of faith can actually look like love. What is faith if it's not love manifesting, um, longing and pulling us towards our origins and towards the things that, that we know but, but don't really know? We have to create spaces to talk about things that we're going through and that our children are going through and make it applicable to our everyday lives. Not that the gospel isn't, but we have to take that gospel and break it down to a personal level. And I love that about Faith Matters. How do we take this tradition that we love and that formed us as Christian disciples, and then how do we take that and apply it to the most urgent needs and questions of our day? To have an expansive vision of the gospel, it means to be open to contextualizing the gospel in new ways. And uh, I think it means to put into practice that revelation given to Joseph Smith that we need to be agents unto ourselves in finding ways to, to build and expand the reach of Zion. And uh, that's what I see the, the work of Faith Matters as uh, being engaged in.
Chaim. How's that feel? I think, whoops. Let me just let me just finish with this. Uh, my my belief is is that as we if we take if we take the Book of Mormon as an unchanging piece of scripture, we're we're kind of caught in seeing people in simplicity, and we will tend to see our faith in simplicity and not able to get beyond that. If you see the Book of Mormon where it was, especially the first part of the Book of Mormon growing, changing, moving towards the harmony that comes in 3rd Nephi. Then you see people growing and changing and updating their information as they go along. And I think we need to do that. I think the church has done that over time. Uh, I think the church will continue to have to do that over time. We have to grow as, as they, we face new challenges going forward. But at the end of the day, our goal, I think, is, as Latter-day Saints is that we have something the world needs and it's not just having a mem- being members of the church. It, it is that if we believe in goodness and families and, and love that our outreach to other people needs to be on that level and some will, some will be interested in joining the church. Most won't. But that doesn't mean we don't have spiritual gifts and that they don't have gifts for us. To me, that's harmony. That's, that's, now, is that easy to do? No, that's... That's hard. We still struggle with people with different attitudes and different beliefs about things, but trying to find a way to bridge that. And we, guys, most of the time we start in our own families. You know, again, here comes Thanksgiving, and you're going to probably have Thanksgiving dinner with people with different beliefs and different attitudes and stuff like that, and trying to figure out how we harmonize with people with different ways of things and still seeing ways that their insights bless us as we try and bless them. Um, any comments on any of this for me? Yeah. When you were talking about Johnson's army, I thought of them burying the foundation of the Salt Lake Temple. And then I thought, well, then they rebuilt it, and now they're rebuilding it again. And it's kind of like that, or this foundation is. Yeah. We know more now. We can make it stronger. Yeah, because when they, when they uncovered the, the foundation, they went, oh, wait a minute. Sandstone ain't going to work. <laughs> we got to do granite instead. You know, and they wouldn't have known that. So. Um, anyway, I, I, my, my final concern is what I've, I've been saying. My fear is that sometimes we just see some of the, the phrasing in the, in the early Book of Mormon and we try and roll that into our life now. And I think that's, I, I don't think that gives credit to the, the growth of the people over time. So, anyway, and I, I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, we got a closing prayer. Debbie, wanna... And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.